Welcome to this week's episode of Fortitude in Truth. As always, my name is Nate, and I'm here with my brother in Christ, Andrew. We've got a great show planned out for you again today. We're going to kind of continue our discussion on the progression of the Christian journey. We're now up to part four, and we're going to transition from sanctification, which we talked about last week, into glorification. So without further ado, we have our verse of the week, which is Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, which reads, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so that verse really speaks of what glorification is, and, and that's our inheritance, right? We Glorification is what we talk about, when we, and Andrew will define this here in a second, but we, we talk about the future state of things. Uh, we aren't glorified in this life, but in the next. So that's really what we're going to talk about today, is what is glorification? What are some differences between sanctification and glorification? Because sometimes the lines get a little muddled there. And then how does knowing what glorification is affect God's church, affect you and your outlook on your Christian walk, and how should it? And what does scripture say about all these things? So without further ado, I will kick it over to Andrew for our definition of this week's $5 word, glorification. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Yes. Uh, So glorification. So how we're going to approach this is I'm going to read from a book that I read through in one of my classes um, called titled uh, Introducing Christian Doctrine. And it's from Dr. Millard Erickson. Um, I have for what it's worth, and it's a personal bias, maybe, but I deeply appreciate Dr. Erickson. I think he's rather reliable in his um, theo- his prop- theology theology books, rather his systematics, as well as his just introducing Christian doctrine. He's he's really solid in how he defines things and how he works through things. But like everything, all these things should still stand under the authority of Scripture. Absolutely. I I know you weren't saying that they don't, but I just want to. I love no. having that caveat that. Any systematic you hold to, any oh, theology you hold to, should be subjected to the Word of God. Because I think most systematics, um, when you talk about Erickson or Grudem or yeah. Calvin or uh, Arian, um, or uh, sorry, Arminius, not Arian. Arian, Arian was a heretic. Um, <laughs> oops. Um, should all be all have error. Obviously, Arian had error. He was a heretic. He was a heretic, yeah. Um, but they all should be subverted to the word of God because they're all not inherently, you know, they try to be biblical and they want to be biblical, but we're all fallen creatures. So we kind of in, insert ourselves in there sometimes. So how do we take those and, and submit them to the word of God? No, so, that, and that's a very fair caveat. And I completely agree with But I, what I meant more was just how he walks through and defines things. That's more what I meant, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, very good caveat. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not trying to argue with you on this one. I just want to clarify for our listeners yeah. That especially with the, our show, we've we've kind of hammered this point home that we're going to continue oh, yeah. to hammer home is everything is subject to the Word of God. Oh, absolutely. And so obviously these resources that we continue to talk about, Erickson's or we talk about Alistair Begg or John oh, yeah. MacArthur or mm-hmm. whoever we, we bring up, all these things we are great teachings, and we obviously we stand on the shoulders of those who came before, but they absolutely. are they still they still like us should stand under the Word of God. No, no, absolutely. I just wanted to make sure I was communicating clearly. That's all. You were excellent. You were. 
So we're going to look at that, and then I will briefly hit on uh, Webster's dictionary definitions. Um, we'll go and then go from there. So really what we're going to look at from there is, uh, more importantly, as, as Brother Nate pointed out, uh, Scripture from that point. Um, so when we're looking at this, and bear with me because I'm going to read through several sections because I think it's important to get proper context. But when you're looking at it, how Dr. Erickson outlines it, and I, again, this is a pretty solid definition, and it's going to be multiple different little sentences I'm going to read. Um, it, glorification, starting out, it's the final stage of the process of salvation. I think that's an important point to start. Is that that final step, right? It's that inheritance, um, as Nate was talking about from Ephesians 1. Um, and this is another interesting point. Glorification is the point at which the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of the last things, or eschatology, overlap. For it looks beyond this life to the world to come. Again, the inheritance. <clears throat> Um, and it's important to understand that glorification is multidimensional. It involves both individual and collective eschatology, or the end things. Uh, it involves perfecting of the spiritual nature of the individual believer, which takes place at death when the Christian passes into the presence of the Lord. It also involves the perfecting of the bodies of all believers, which will occur at the time of the resurrection in connection with the second coming of Christ. It even involves transformation of the entire creation. And I think this is important. This is where I got, uh, he transitions. In order to understand glorification better, it's important to understand the term glory. Um, and he goes in and he t hits on a Hebrew word, which we're not, not going to go into too much. But in the Old Testament, largely glory translates to um, a individual's display of splendor, wealth, and pomp. Uh, when, in used, when used in respect to God in the Old Testament, specifically like in the Psalms, it does not point to a particular attribute, but to the greatness of his entire nature. It, usually it will ref, uh, reference him as God, again, him being God, as the king of glory, right? As king, he is attended by his host and marked by infinite splendor and beauty. And we, as we transition to the New Testament, um, we see that the, that word glory tends to mean brightness, splendor, magnificence, and fame. Uh, notice it's relatively similar. Um, here we find glory attributed to Jesus Christ, just as it was to God in the Old Testament. Jesus prayed that the Father would, be, would glorify him as he had glorified the Father. And it's, and it's important to notice we transition to individual believers understanding glorification. Not only Christ, but all true believers will be glorified. So, and last point here. In glorification, the individual will also be perfected morally and spiritually. Does that mean we're going to be God? No. <laughs> good. <laughs> of course not. Just checking. No, that's a very good point. We, that, is, that does not mean we be, become equal with God or we are God. Um, but rather that we no longer feel the effects of sin. It'll be similar, I think, to, and uh, we talked about this in the study of relation we did at our churches, uh, an interesting viewpoint that the end of all things kind of almost is like the beginning of all things, where God created a world that was perfect without sin. Um, yeah. Adam and Eve knew no sin. The difference is Adam and Eve, Eve had the propensity to sin, where I think once we're glorified there, that propensity is now gone. Yeah, we'll be hidden with Christ. 
We'll be fully like him, and and him is no sin and no possibility for sin because he is completely holy. That's one of the scripture references I'm going to go into, but yes, you're right. Sorry. (laughs) No, 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 that's that's good. I always jump ahead. No, no, I like it. That's good. So, and for simple working definitions, we look at Merriam-Webster, when you look at glorification, uh, it it means to elevate in this context, right? Using the word in this context means to elevate to celestial glory, meaning just to elevate into fame and glory. In honor. That's what glorification means. Now, when we talk about the word glory, it, it means specifically in this context to praise, honor, or a distinction extended by common consent, meaning you're renowned, you're famous, right? Again, famous. Excuse me. <clears throat> so, when we look at scripture in light of this, again, understanding glorification, I think that, that first sentence that uh, Dr. Erickson outlined in, in, that, in his book there. Um, it's the end state of salvation. It's the it's the last step um, of 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 sanctification rather not salvation sanctification, which I guess technically it could be either or. I would say it's the culmination of our salvation. We talk about the already, yeah. but not yeah. yet. You were it's the saved, culmination. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's finalized. It's completed uh, at the end of all things. No, I think that's a good way to put it. Correct. Um, well, no. Yeah, no, and it's it's no that again that propensity to sin is gone, um, and sin no longer ravages us, and we become like Christ, um, and we see Him fully, as Paul says, which we're going to look at at some point. I think it's in Romans five. Um, but as we look now, as we transition to look at what Scripture says, how we're going to do this is we'll address first glorification in the total sense. Then we'll look at, uh, and then we'll look at examples of glory, and then finally, what glorification looks like for the believer. So it, we see in Romans eight, verses sixteen through eighteen, which we can look at almost all of Romans eight, and in a couple different places we will. Um, but the Bible says in Romans eight, verses sixteen through eighteen, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we're children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we see this idea of the totality of this, this present time of suffering. I want to make clear here some context. The Apostle Paul, God using the Apostle Paul here in context, the early church is, is suffering through some very, very intense persecution, um, even at, at the time that God's using Paul to write this. Things like, I don't know, being burned to light city streets. Um, burned alive, rather. as Human torches to light city streets. Like, like intense, intense levels of persecution. I'm not sure at this point if Paul had been stoned yet, but he had been multiple, uh, quite a few times, I believe. Um, so when he's talking about the present sufferings of this time, these are some of the things he's referencing, right? These present sufferings. Not, oh, I got cut off in traffic, or oh, that person didn't like my opinion. No, like, for simply acknowledging Christ as Lord, you are targeted for extermination, essentially, or targeted, and you're looked at as a second-class human, and they can do whatever they want to you. He's talking about those sufferings of this present time, that time that he's in, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us, right? That glory that's coming. Um, And, I mean, obviously, there's an application to today as well. Like, this is not, by no means is our society perfect, Um, but I think that's an important caveat to point to there that Paul is juxtaposing that present suffering with future glory. 
He also talks about being heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Yeah. And if you look at what Paul says in Colossians about who Christ is the preeminent one, and then in Philippians where um, Paul talks about how because he came and died obediently that therefore God bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And if he gets that, he gets the key. Basically, he gets the keys to the kingdom, and we're co-heirs with that. Then, like we get to share in that, right? Obviously, all glory goes to God, and we'll probably we we will be glorifying God forever. Amen. But we get to share in that gift of eternal life. Just think about that too. That's insane. Yeah, especially how worthy we are of well, that. Well, that was, that's my point. Like just thinking, like just in general, like, that's that is truly insane. And then we see it to our, you know, theme verse for the week in Ephesians 1, that inheritance, like that's what, that's, that in the, the Holy Spirit, right, the seal of the Holy Spirit is that, that promissory note that we will receive that inheritance, right, and God is faithful. Um, the, the next example we're going to look at here is in 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because they did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what, the, what, we, what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope, has their hope, rather, sorry, has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. There's a lot going on there. Um, and we see that, that when God appears, we know what we will be, for we will see him just as he is. Um, it's very, it's very easy to get caught up with wanting things or hoping for things, but this is a truly remarkable idea that God is communicating here, <laughs> um, and that if everyone, everyone who has their hope fixed on this, on him, purifies himself. This idea that we are children of God, I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm stumbling for words right now. It's truly remarkable, right? Um, I mean, it, it ties right into our talk on sanctification. We talk absolutely. about um, this hope, right? Why why do we want to be, we talked about last week about be holy as I am holy. And part of that is emulating, is, is focusing on our hope. And if he is our hope and we want to be with him and be like him and be in relationship with him, then we will not just want to do certain things, but we'll end up doing certain things because the Spirit continues to transform us Absolutely. in that manner because we can't transform ourselves. And, yeah, it, it's remarkably humbling just Absolutely. to remember that, not just the gift um, of salvation, of that, like, the instantaneous, like, being saved from imminent death and from being dead and being born again, but then that that final culmination that we haven't even realized yet of what new life is really going to look like is just, I mean, it's really exciting. It all, um, absolutely but is. it's, I think anything we pictured out to be is not even close to what it's going to be. I think you're right. I mean, and we see that we'll be like him. Like that's, that's intense. Um, there's a lot there to unpack. And we see, and part of uh, John's reasoning here is because we will see him just as he is. Right, um, and you know, it's, it reminds me of what Paul said. I believe it's in First Corinthians thirteen. I see through a mirror uh, dimly, but soon I will see fully. Right, and I know that's w- w- wickedly paraphrased, but that same idea 
of we will see him just as he is. We will no longer see dimly. We'll see him and we'll be like him. We transition. Now we see an example here from Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. The Bible says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift your heads, lift up your heads, rather, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And this is kind of really just ties in to where do where does where is our hope found in? Where 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 do we where is our inheritance from? It's from God. Um, ultimately, it's for His glory. And it's really easy. I know we, we talked about last episode, the, the, the holiness of God. And it's something that we could talk about every single day and still not exhaust. Um, it's very easy. I, I know I would argue, especially in our day and age, but I'm sure if we went back to the times of Luther or the times of Calvin, they would probably say the same thing. Um, that it's very easy for us in our present age to not understand or even remotely emphasize the holiness of God. But we see here that this king, the king of glory is the Lord of hosts. Right? That, he is the, that, that implies a lot of things. He's the king of all. He is truly worth, worthy of being glorified. He is glory um, and worthy of our glory, or worthy of rather our honor and praise rather, and, to be, and for us to be glorifying him. Lastly, we'll look at in this segment here, um, Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. The Bible says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more we have been reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. This is important as we understand that we were enemies of God. All of us are enemies of God, right? Apart from Christ. Now, while we were all dead in our sins, Christ came, right? And justified us. We're justified by his blood. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled, right? Through Jesus. And now we're saved by his life, the life that he led, lived, rather, and the example that he set. And that ultimately brings him, what, what was that in Philippians 2? Is God gave him the name above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow that's in heaven, that's on the earth, that's under the earth, and that's in heaven. And every tongue will profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, it's, it's because of what Jesus did, right? That while we were still enemies, he came and God died for us. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, Absolutely. It, I mean, it's crazy, but it's wonderful. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. Just a reminder, too, that justification that we talk about um, being declared uh, just as if you had not sinned. It's this legal verdict, right? It's too, It's it's like if we talk about salvation. It's kind of twofold, right? You were, you're declared not guilty in that instant, and you're you know, set apart and positionally sanctified, and yeah. then on the track of progressive sanctification. But at the end of all things, when you stand before the judgment seat, because Revelation is very clear that we will all stand and face judgment. And I think I think it's the Hebrew author says man is destined to die once and then face judgment. Yep. Um, that's not that's not just non-believers. That's that's believers, that's too. Man, general. That's the. Yeah. Um, and I'm really interested 
and and I don't know that I'll remember this when I'm standing before a holy God on, on the judgment seat, but I would really be interested to find out because there's a couple of viewpoints on this is is my, are my sins going to be thrown in my face? Are they going to legitimately am I going to basically be judged for them and then the verdict is read not guilty or is it just hey, he's mine. He's covered the blood. He's just, that's not guilty. I'm, we're not going to bring up the past because I have thrown your sins as far as the east is from the west. I've heard both schools of thought. I can see both arguments. Um, I definitely favor one over the other. Um, but it, I'd be interested to see what happens because yeah. in some sense, like that is pretty powerful to to have all that thrown back in your face. There's a, and I'm not supporting his work, but a, but a, a Christian artist, I... Um, grew up listening to and his theology is very not very great and the whole song is very ish iffy but it's um his name is carmen and he wrote a song called the courtroom and it's god sits out as the judge and but it's 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 very not theologically correct because the devil is the accuser but the devil's the accuser before the judgment seat which won't happen because the devil's already been judged too so we don't have to worry about that but really it's the devil throwing all your sins back in your face and then God's about to, to slam the gavel. And then Jesus says, well, wait a minute, judge. And says, I got something to say. And then he tells him about his sacrifice. And then um, it's so like in it's an interesting picture of like redemption. Is, and again, it's a little bit theologically wonky, but it's it. But think about it. If you're before the judgment seat and all your sins are brought to bear before you and then you're re- rendered not gu- guilty, how powerful would that be? It's insanely powerful. But on the flip side, someone who. And this someone who, if we think about Paul's view of himself, right, of I am the chief of sinners, and I very much believe that Paul was speaking both and of I was the chief of sinners, right? I was persecuting Christians. I was destroying the body of Christ. But even in that moment, becoming who he was, being as holy as he probably was, realizing even finitely the magnitude of his sin on a holy God, that he still felt like the chief of sinners. I would venture to guess if I'm standing before that judgment seat of Christ, having not been glorified yet, no matter how much sin is in my life, I'm going to feel, even if God doesn't bring it up, and even if God just says not guilty and then glorifies you, like you're going to have some semblance of, hey, if there's any sin in my life in comparison to this holy God, that, that like, even though it's been washed, like, I realize the impact of my sin and how much it has on a, on a holy God finitely until I die. And then once I'm face to face with this holy God, I realize the impact of my lifetime of sin has done to this holy God that like, I will be, I don't need it thrown back in my face. I've thrown it back in my own face. Yeah. It's just interesting nope. to think of from either side that, yeah, that there's some, it's, it's hard to, to kind of really wrap your head around once, especially like it's this weird thing where you, you know, we become more holy. We don't even realize we're becoming more holy. And then we realize what more and more like the, like we first get saved and all these major sins are like, they grieve us. Right. And then we get become more holy. And then there's other sins that small, they hide. We, they may be, they may not necessarily be small, but like, yeah, they aren't as major or like if we were a new Christian, we would say they were, maybe they were small, but now that we're mature Christians and we realize that, oh, this sin, is a really a big deal. Sin. And it's, 
it really is a big deal and i like you're just more grieved over like the smaller things or the the sins that you didn't realize were there it's oh yeah it's wild no it is i mean and it's in the, in the old testament i mean the god warns the people of israel and i believe it's moses too that you can't handle the full presence of god as a human right for just his awe and his power and his holiness Imagine when you're even even at the throne of judgment, right? The throne of judgment. No, and also it's important to note too that the believer's works will be judged as well. Um, talking about judgment, but yeah, I think that's a very good illustration. That's a topic for a different day too. Oh no, it is. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm just presenting <laughs> that also as you know. And obviously, I would venture to guess Nate and I have not talked about this in depth. We probably hold a very similar viewpoint. I'm not going to share what that is, but I do have a viewpoint on it. <laughs> Me neither. I would be rather shocked if to find out that we disagreed, but eh, it's not. We disagree on it enough. It's okay. Yeah. You just haven't heard it yet. Yeah. But anyway, no. so how we talked about sanctification last week. So how is sanctification different from glorification? And we since we defined sanctification last week, I don't you if you haven't listened, go back and listen to last week episode, and then you can pick back up here and re-listen to this episode. Have a better context. Because it, it gives you some more context. But it's something we didn't talk about last week because we got kind of wrapped up in our conversation of of progressive sanctification throughout the believer's life. But something we didn't get to is is the end of the believer's life. Not death, but like, is... I guess the biggest question that, that's kind of begged here is, is sanctification or is glorification or like total sanctification possible in this lifetime? And really what I mean by that is, can we be perfect and sinless before we go to heaven? Can we be rid of all sin before we leave this earth? And I, I no, I, I don't know how to put that any differently. I, there are people who believe that there are denominations that believe that. And, their arguments I are not the best. And you can look into their arguments. I'm not super well-versed, so take that for what it's worth. Um, but I think Scripture is very clear that we will not... I mean, since we have to face judgment and we still have to be justified before the Father at the judgment seat, that at that point we'll be declared sinless. But, like, yeah. we're not... We'll never be separated. We're not separated from our flesh, right? Yeah. Our flesh is not gone, and our bodies are not remained are not made new either until yeah. till that time. So it's just interesting. It's an interesting concept to, to think of that. Now that does not shirk of a shirk us of our responsibility. And I think that's important to, to understand too. We talk about the difference between sanctification and glorification is, Oh, well I can never be perfect. So why either why there's a couple arguments, right? Why try or, Oh, it's no big deal. Cause I'm not going to be perfect anyway. So I'll try, but like, I don't really need to try that hard. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? That's not the picture we've been given. I mean, God says, be holy as I am holy. That's not like, a, oh, well, just just try a little bit to be holy. You, you, oh, you did, you did, you tried a little bit? Okay, thank you. No, that's not, there's no um, second place. There's no pat on the back for, an a, there's no A for effort. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit, but not, not in that sense. Um, I think that, the goal is the goal. Whether you can attain the goal or not does not matter, right? The person that you're supposed to be like, the person you're being transformed into, we can all agree whether we're total, we believe in total sanctification or entire sanctification or not, is the goal is that we're being transformed into Christ. 
Now, can we be transformed into Christ in this lifetime is, I guess, the debate. But the goal is the goal. So whether you get there or not in this lifetime doesn't matter. It's, it's you are meant to be continuing to grow in the likeness of Christ. There is no if ands, or buts. There's no kind of second-guessing that. There's no I get to do what I want. There's... Right, there was your your responsibility is that, and so that's that is where we would agree. So I want to just give you a couple scriptures here that we can discuss a little bit along that kind of touch on some of this stuff. If my computer wants to cooperate with me, which we'll see. But the first one's Romans uh, six twenty one to twenty three says, "But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death." But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And this may not necessarily speak to told the, the issue of total sanctification, uh, but I think it definitely, that, that there's a phrase in there that really irks some people and... Paul likes to use it, and it's one of my favorites, is he'll use, like, slaves of God or slaves of righteousness. And we we get bent out of shape by that. I'm offended. I know. But <laughs> if we go back to Romans, if we stay in Romans 6, we go back. Paul says, of he says, having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. And then he clarifies. He says, I am speaking in human terms. Because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So, be slaves to righteousness. Right, but what is, what is a slave responsible to do? It's to obey their master. And what has your master called you to? To righteousness, to, to holiness, to, to live a life worthy of one who has been pulled from the fire, though they didn't deserve to be pulled from the fire. Like, I think, I think the more I reflect, I don't know about you, but the thing the more I reflect on my salvation as I grow in, in my walk, that it's something you should never get away from. Right. I would say salvation is kind of an instantaneous thing, but it's something you should never really move on from. It's not like, Oh, I'm now I'm saved. So we're just going to keep, we're just going to forget that I'm saved or forget that fact. And then just, you know, I'm just going to be like, trying to be more like Christ. Well, it's kind of hard to do that if you kind of forget where you came from. Because the whole point of that is, is really that, that knowing what kind of where you came from and how you got here is not just the origin of the story, but is the whole moral of the story, right? What's the point of living a holy life for God who say, for, to, for God who says, be holy if he didn't do anything for me, right? That should be, it matters that he did something for you. Oh, absolutely. Right? It's it's the whole point of relationship. And that's something that's, that I've grown a lot in understanding is I'm very much about God doing things for the in the counsel of his own will for his own glory. And people get bent out of shape because that sounds like God's egotistic and selfish. But then if you kind of tie that into God also does things through love and relation and all of that works together. That's not they're not really like separate entities. And it's very much one of those things. If I may, mm -hmm. um, to your point, um, just on what you're talking about, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's so humbling, and it's something that we should not lose sight of. And there's a couple places in Scripture where God reminds us of that, but I mean, specifically with Paul. I, I found one of them um, in Ephesians 2, 
and we see he's talking to the church at Ephesus. Um, I'm only to read a little portion of this. And this is Paul reminding them of what they were. And you were dead in your... Tra- Sorry, I'm going to pick up right now, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were na- by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. So anyway, it's, that's a, quite a few verses. But this idea of, of Paul reminding people, the, the, the church kind of that he, they planted, of where they came from, and tying himself into that. I think it's very valuable that, yeah, that the old self is dead and gone. Behold, we've been made new. But don't forget where God brought you from. Um, and this idea that, that you are no better than anyone else in the world. You were saved by grace. Anyway, I'm sorry, brother. That's, you know, I just jogged my memory to that as you were talking. Nope, absolutely. I I like when my thoughts are validated by Scripture. I feel better <laughs> about myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's bad. Um, but if we want to talk about Paul, though, as somebody who, like, when we talk about, and he, I think this really kind of speaks to that idea of total sanctification. So, if you look at Philippians chapter three and I'll give you some context and I want to read the whole thing cause I think it's important, but um, Paul is dealing with some, some Judaizers, some people who want to really Im- impress upon the, the new Gentile believers that they need to follow Mosaic law and Jewish law. Um, and Paul is very much against that. And if you read any, anywhere in really any of his letters, he, he addresses that in a lot of places because it seems to be creeping into a lot of these churches. But he really gives us a picture of a couple things is really where where his... Uh, we'll just start in verse 3. Let's just start there. Philippians 3, 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Right. So how, how do the people of God worship? They worship by the Spirit. The Spirit enables them to worship. And they glory in Christ Jesus. Their glory is in Christ Jesus. They are glorified by Christ Jesus. He's the only one that's able to glory, glorify them. And so they know that they can share in his glory. And they put no confidence in the flesh. None. So we shouldn't put confidence in our flesh. And that, and I think that kind of right there, if we just kind of isolate that a little bit, potentially has the, the impact to say, hey, that's like a lifetime thing of putting putting no confidence in your flesh, which means it doesn't matter if you're on your deathbed. Like there is no total sanctification. I should never put confidence in my flesh. My confidence should be, my glory should be, my worship should be by the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And then Paul goes on to say, <clears throat> to kind of brag a little bit, and because Paul was the man, right? And he even says so. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> right? Roasted. <laughs> right? I, I'm confident. But if anybody thinks they're better than me, they weren't better than me. Right? And he's, t- he's talking about his former life. But does it matter? I don't know. Because he says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But, big but, I like buts in scripture. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I think it's wild that Paul's really like not certain about this resurrection of the dead thing. Like literally like I will literally give up everything just to even have the possibility to be a part of like letting Christ raise me from the dead. Like literally I would do anything. I will suffer for him. I will submit to him everything. Like just, just I'll give up everything. Everything I count as rubbish. And that word rubbish is, is um, softened. Oh yeah, it is. It is definitely softened. It is refuse or excrement. It's not, it's not pretty. Right, he counts them all as like it's, it's just bad. He doesn't, yeah. It's in order that I may gain Christ, yeah, it's human waste. And then he, I mean, my favorite verse in Philippians chapter one, he he says, "For me to live is Christ, and to die, die is gain. gain." But that's it, right? Paul has every reason to confidence in the flesh, and even I think too, if we look at Paul post post Damascus Road, Paul is an eloquent writer. Paul is an is is this very skilled orator, a very skilled and rhetorical argument fashions very skilled arguments. Yep. Is very a very influential leader. So like his reason to boast in the flesh continues even post post Damascus, post salvation. And yet I I'm sure he could care less about any of those things. I I said this once in one of my classes I was teaching on one of Paul's epistles. I think as a whole the church in general, if Paul saw the way we treated Paul, he would be grossed out. He would be very upset that we hold him in such high esteem because Paul could care less that we hold what esteem we hold him in. If he's not pointing to Christ, we're wrong. And clearly everything Paul wrote was pointing to Christ. And so, I mean, like praise be to God for Paul, for everything Paul did to be obedient to Christ. But like everything Paul did was for Christ. It was not for Paul. I would say also Paul does his best as any human could to make his any account of his actions in scripture that he, he communicates all also point to Christ. Um, again, however imperfectly, you know, I'm thinking of the whole Barnabas situation. He even admits that he was wrong there, but nonetheless, you know, <clears throat> anything documented about Paul, he tries very diligently to point to Christ. And I, I appreciate that as, as we all, and that's, I mean, I, I hesitate to say we should ever emulate somebody who's not Christ. Right. I mean, there are like biblical examples of, of good people, decent yeah. people, right? Paul, David, like David was an adulterer. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Like, a murderer. You can just say that too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're, you know, I'm just, just to make the point even more stark. So you're like, making. it's a miracle that God works through all these people and that glorifies God all the more. But like Christ should be the only one that we emulate. That's, yeah. we or, should transform ourselves into Christ, not to Paul, not to. Absolutely. Not to Apollos. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Not to Cephas. No, um, but I would say, too, like any good re- redeemable quality you find in a man in the accounts of Scripture that could be, you know, quote unquote good, you will find perfectly in Christ. Yeah. And and really, if you look at them, they they try to point through Christ through those or Scripture tries to point to Christ Absolutely. through those qualities as well. Absolutely. Um, so so but how should we reconcile these understandings of sanctification glorification i think it's just 
it's it's okay to know that you're never going to be perfect. I really think that's okay on this side yeah, of eternity. Of course. But that doesn't really – that should never be an excuse for your sin ever. Correct. Uh, I I read some – I read – and I, I'll openly say this. I read some books on and the issues of, of um, same-sex attraction. And I really struggled with that. Not Not same-sex attraction. I struggled with the book and the concept of there are people who – will not necessarily be free from their same-sex attraction on the side of eternity. And I really struggle with that because, like, that seems like, oh, this major sin that, like, of all the sins you should probably be free from, like, that's a pretty big one, right? But there's a couple things there that, one, you have your own flesh that doesn't want to let that go. And so you you might fight that battle your whole life, right? You might become more like Christ in plenty of other ways, but that might be the one thing that's really difficult to to, to rectify, because the, at the end of the day, really, if Christ wants to, to transform that area of your life and you allow it, it's going to get transformed. And you, if you submit to Christ, it will get transformed. He has that power and ability, especially if you cooperate and work with him to allow that to happen. The problem is we in our sinful flesh don't want to do that. Uh, it depends on what it is. but And so that, that's hard for a lot of people to rectify. That like, So it's not that he can't. It has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with you. And that's that's hard for some people. But again, yeah. at the end of all things, when you stand before the throne, if you are in Christ and you are a believer, you will be glorified, right? You will spend eternity with Christ. And those are phenomenal, phenomenal things. We have that hope. But that hope should Im- impact our lives now. Andrew, we talked about that in the last segment, and I think you're talking more about it. In a minute, we talk about the impact of not just on individuals and that hope of glory, but of the church as a whole. Yeah. But, yeah, that hope of glory should really guide our sanctification, should guide our walk in Christ. So they should they should work together, Absolutely. but we should also never be, we really should never think we've arrived. Because then that's, we're in our flesh right there, yeah. if we think we've arrived. Well, and, and I think Paul did a great job, too. Like, you just read, you know, Paul, and, you know, if anyone has reason to boast, it's him. Um, and he didn't. <laughs> right. And I would argue, and again, this is my, this is, my personal, I'm saying I shouldn't maybe go this far, but I struggle with the whole, I would argue that entire sanctification or total sanctification is just not possible. Um, that's not how it works, I should say. And if anyone, if scripture was going to bear anything out, you would see it, I would argue, in like Apostle Paul, right? And you don't see it there. Um, no, and Paul tells Timothy yeah. that, he's the, that he's the chief, that Paul is the chief, chief of sinners. Sin, of sinners. Yeah. Yep. Like, who, what Christian would say that? Like, we all say that actually. I, I I've openly said that um, that I very often feel that way. Yeah, but I like I think that that, that feeling will never go away as long as we're yep. in our flesh. Once we've been fully glorified yep. um, in in the presence of the Lord Almighty, yep. that there won't be that feeling. Yep. But until then, yep. yeah. it's going to be there in some in some way, but however big or small it exists. Absolutely. Oh, and even Paul had the thorn in the flesh, and I think that's part of that um again it's part of that fallen human nature that while we are saved that we still wrestle with we have those two natures um sorry i missed the part did you uh segue it over to me i was getting there sorry but you sorry. were you were still going so i figured you were gonna segue yourself no nope you go ahead and finish up any final thoughts i don't have any final thoughts i think we're we're at a point where we talk about <clears throat> the christian journey and glorification yeah. and sanctification so, but like that means we've talked about this yeah. really throughout our, our discussion on the progression of the Christian journeys. It's not just about you. 
even though your own walk with Christ is important. You're what you're right. But your own, your own walk with Christ is important. Are you saying I'm not a special snowflake? Um, I don't know how to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I cut you off in a profound point. Continue. That is a loaded question. Um, Oh, what was I saying? Oh no. So the greater, right. You have your own walk with Christ. You need to grow with Christ in your walk. You need, to, you need to personally become more like Christ. I need to become personally more like Christ. Amen. But it isn't just for me. It's it, one, one is for God, but it's also for his church. It's for the body. We're reminded over and over of one body, many members. We all have our own roles and our own I'm gifts that we need to do these things. And, all of these things, including our sanctification and our hope of glorification, really impacts the church as a whole. So that's yeah. really where Andrew's going to go now is we're going to talk yeah. and Andrew's going to lead this discussion on how does glorification affect God's church? How should it lead and guide God's church and why is that important? Yeah, no, and I think one of the things that you know Nate hit on a few times and I appreciate is this idea of hope, right? This hope, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but that's, that is essentially what it is, right? It's, it's our ultimate hope. Um, now, when we talk about how does glorification affect God's church, again, we're the, we're the body of Christ, right? One made up of many members, right? So as each individual member is in the process of sanctification and progressively growing in Christ and ultimately will be glorified, it will have an effect on the body of Christ, <clears throat> And we remember from last episode, I, I, I harped on quite a bit perspective, thinking, living, right? Because the way you see things affects the way you think, or and some would argue, I would, I would actually argue now that I have it written out, that the way you think affects the way you see things. But nonetheless, the, the illustration is there. Um, and, and ultimately, the way you see things and think about things will affect the way you live. Well, sanctification and glorification affect all of that, Um but let's more most importantly, let's look at what Scripture says concerning this. Um, and there's again, this is, and I, I know we've caveated this before, but there are many other points in Scripture that talk about stuff like this. These are just examples that you can pull from and look to. Um, we see in Colossians chapter three, verses twelve through seventeen, uh, the Bible says, "So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility." gentleness and patience bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the lord forgave you so also should you beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Lord Jesus, rather, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, we see it talking in depth about here, God using Paul, about how we are to relate to one another, Right? So those who have been chosen of God, holy, there's that, that, there's that uh, fancy schmancy, I would say $7 word, holy, and beloved, right? We are called to be holy just as God is holy. And then, and then Paul proceeds to outline what that kind of looks like, what is expected. Um, and obviously sanctification is going to affect this, the progressive sanctification. And we will do this perfectly when we're glorified and glorifying God. Um, we see another example of this 
in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And again, I wish I could read like entire chapters, but I think that'd be a little much and we'd be pushing like well over an hour if we did that. But some of this, there's like essentially the entire chapter talks about it. <laughs> and so, so for Colossians chapter three, I would encourage you to read all of Colossians chapter three. Here in Ephesians four, I would encourage you to read all of Ephesians four. But when we're looking, highlighting, emphasizing verses 11 through 16. The Bible says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Let me just pause for one moment. That's verse 13. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I would argue that happens at glorification. We're finally at the fullness of Christ. Okay. Anyway, continuing. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Another way, and again, another word for doctrine is teaching. Every, every teaching. Right? By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, there's a lot going on there talking about the fullness of Christ, right? The glorification, the end time, the, the, the hope of being fully what God has called us to be. And then and at the end here, verse 16, we see that the body's being fit and held together by what every joint supplies. Right? Well, obviously, it's ultimately for the glory of God and, and God working in us. Right? But, but there's an inherent responsibility and duty of each individual member. Right? Every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. There it is again. You have to work properly. Right? For some reason, you're a pinky toe. You can't demand to be a tooth. Um, or an ear, right, or an eye. I think I might have broken it down a little too small. But nonetheless, you get the point. And it, this causes the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. Now, this is, I would argue, talking when it comes to the body of Christ, progressive sanctification, as well as, again, the hope of, of glorification, right? To, to which, you know, to the knowledge of God, the Son of God, to a mature man, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> Anything to add there, uh, Nate? As I transition over, just nope. Yeah, one. I have I have something, but I want to wait till you're done. I think it's a good ending. Okay, perfect. So, one other example we see in Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses five through twelve. And again, disclaimer. And I'm gonna. I think I'm always gonna do this from now on. Read the whole chapter, please. Uh, if you and when you if you're reading along with us, if you have time, pause it. Like that's the beauty of podcasts. But to give you the full context. Um, we see here beginning in verse 5 in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. The Bible says, This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which, you, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from his glory and of his power when he comes to be glorified in his, saint, in his saints on that day and to be marveled at, at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lots going on there. Talking about retribution, fire and brimstone, right? For eye for eye. Um, Obviously, I'm kind of mixing illustrations there. But nonetheless, we see this idea of God punishing those who afflict the believers, right? But also... And this is, I think, for our conversation, a little, little more important. When, it, when Jesus comes to be glorified, right? And then we see that in the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, right? That w- how we faithfully work will glorify Jesus. And ultimately, we will be glorified in him. This reciprocatory, reciprocal rather, excuse me, glorification which again, it's important to understand, since we're talking about the term glory, we're not talking about personal glory. And then in that day, we will not care about that by the, by the grace of God and praise, praise to God. We'll be able to fully praise God and glorify in him. But we will be glorified. We will be made new. We will see him fully. We see, though, inside of this, inside, and God using Paul to write to the, the, you know, the church at Thessalonica, which what it's worth fun fact i love saying that word thessalonica i don't know why it just rolls off the tongue it's just fun to say um but anyway <laughs> i have i have nate properly rolling his eyes and shaking his head i've done my job with that comment but uh, nonetheless uh we see how paul is talking about to the group right it's not it's important that we understand while it matters how we live individually and that we should be seeking individual growth Part of that individual growth is understanding that we have a, a responsibility to the body of Christ um, and that that is ultimately in a way that we glorify Christ if we do it properly and faithfully. And as we, as we kind of transition talking about why it's so important that the saints of God, and that is all believers, our saints, understand what glorification is, right? And it does affect our perspective, our thinking, and our living. And we're talking specifically of glorification, but we're talking about sinlessness. Right? We're talking about perfection. We're talking about being made new, seeing fully, right? Not being made new, but new body, new, you know, made full, seeing him fully, being like him, for we will see him. That is a profound statement. And it's easily, glorification is easily confused with, with sanctification, um, and that's what we, just, you know, Nate talking about earlier. The issue of, of, of total or entire sanctification uh, sounds eerily similar to glorification, and it can be confusing. It's important that we, as the body, whether locally or individually as well, we have an understanding of these terms, of these doctrines, if you will, these teachings, um, because it can be very easy to get swept away by any wave of doctrine if you're not grounded in Scripture and what does God have to say about these things, and ultimately and prayer, seeking out scripture for it. Um, and ultimately, glorification, in large part, is that idea, is, is the 
is the uh, fulfillment, rather, of that promise of redemption, right? The word redemption carries quite a loaded meaning in Scripture. Um, and as we see, you know, ancient Israel, you know, before the time of Christ, waiting on the Messiah, and even during uh, Jesus' earthly ministry and even to this day, missed the point of what redemption was. Their, their, their view, even to this day, I can speak more of to at the time of Christ, but even to this day, uh, I, from what I understand, is heavily political. Their understanding is heavily po- a, a political one of what redemption looks like. It is, it is being redeemed and free and fully restored as the nation of Israel on earth. Um, and that kind of missed the mark. Uh, Jesus, that was part of the main contention that Jesus had with the Pharisees and with many people, many people of Israel, um, is that he, the way he acted, he, he, the way he talked, it, it was not, it, granted, he said the things and spoke with authority like the Messiah would speak with, but he was not doing what they expected. Um, and that's, that's part of the misconception of redemption. Um, and then it, for us, we can easily get carried away with what redemption is. And, you know, God promises, you know, Jesus came so we can live life more abundantly. We talked about that last week. What, what that, that term means, living life more abundant, right? Well, Jesus is the author of life, right? We can't really truly have life apart from him. And our perspective on what abundance means in context is very important, right? Ultimately, the whole host of scripture, when you look at it in context, witnesses to the revealed truth that God will redeem his people. And glorification is the ultimate culmination or end goal of the promise of redemption. Of, you know, we, you, this will be over. <clears throat> you will be with me. You will be my people. You will be set apart. Um, and, and that's an important point to, to understand that we as the church... I'm talking with my hands, and I just messed up my mic briefly. So anyway, we as the church have hope, and we should live in light of this hope, that we will one day be glorified, that we should revel in how God uses trials in our progressive sanctification as we continue to move on toward glorification, understanding that God is faithful, and he has given us the down payment of our inheritance. That is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And that in and of itself, we can devote a whole show to talking about what that means to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit. But anyway, again, in short, glorification is the ultimate end goal, if you will, or a culmination, if you will, of God's promise of redemption, which the whole host of Scripture witnesses to this idea that God reveals to us that he will redeem us. With that, I yield my time. (laughs) Amen. Too bad this is not a debate because I agree with you. (laughs) Not, Not much of a debate anyway. I, I, I want to leave you with one scripture, I think, before we get to our focus, to, to close with our focus first. And it really sums up what you're talking about as far as the idea of the way sanctification works into glorification and how the church has, like, this body's, um, this picture in, in Revelation that John paints of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, yeah. And so I'm just going to read it for you. It's Revelation 19, starting verse 6. He said, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me, these are the true words of God. I don't, I don't even think I need to explain that. I think that sums yeah. it up 
praise God. And that's it's that's exciting. I can't wait for the marriage of Brother Lamb. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to be an usher. I'm excited. An usher? <laughs> I'd like a seat at the table. Yeah, no, I'm just much. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Not usher. Couldn't help myself. Sorry. Back to serious uh, mode. That, uh, praise God. That's, that's awesome. That's fair. But we, we really just want to encourage you today and thank you for joining us that we hope this discussion was fruitful and beneficial to help kind of understand some of these bigger terms we, that we, that you might hear thrown around your church. You might hear your pastor use these big words and he might not explain them. Uh, we want to do some diligence in explaining ourselves as best we can. Sometimes we maybe go a little too far ourselves and we'll openly admit that, but we hope that it's, it's beneficial to understand and help guide you into all truth, guide you back into scripture to, we want to submit ourselves to scripture, but we want you to submit whatever we're saying to scripture and test the scriptures with it. Amen. Um, with that, our focus verse again for the day, for the week is Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14, which says in him, you also, when you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So it's it we you're saved, you get the indwell Holy you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you get the indwell Holy Spirit, and he's that guarantee he's part of that guarantee that you will acquire possession of your inheritance. You will be made more like Christ until you are fully glorified to the praise of his glory, because he's the one who did it. So just as a reminder, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, prayer requests, anything of that nature, please email us fortitude and truth three one six at gmail dot com. If you enjoyed this, feel free to drop a share, um, share it with your friends, share it with your believing friends, your non-believing friends, whoever you think might benefit that. We would definitely appreciate that. And then subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Feel free to subscribe. We still drop episodes every week. Uh, we're definitely going to be dropping another one next week. And I, we're getting close to, uh, we might be doing a solo show here soon. Uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, hopefully you don't hate that too much. If you do, just leave it in the comments. We'll, we'll never do it again. Uh, with that, Andrew, would you close us in prayer? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, we just thank you, Lord, for this time together, um, ultimately discussing you and diving into your word, Lord. And for, first and foremost, if anything we say is beneficial, it's because it's of you and not of us. Lord, we ask that you strip us from this. And, Lord, as we continue, Lord, ground us in our hope. Right, that we have that, that that certitude that we will be glorified and we should act in accordance. Lord, that anyone hearing my voice, saying to myself, Lord, that we would continue to diligently work out our salvation and our sanctification, Lord, as best as we can to our extent with fear and trembling and seek to work faithfully for you, Lord, and, and whatever you call us to, to execute to your glory so that ultimately, Lord, you will be glorified. Lord, as we as we close today, Lord, this week, Lord, we just pray that you continue to open our eyes to see you deeply, Lord, and that our first and foremost reaction would always be to consult you with you in prayer and with your word on all topics. We ask for your hand of protection this week, wherever we might be, and that you'd provide us opportunities, Lord, to to plant the seed and so faithfully and willingly. We ask this all of Jesus, your mighty, holy, and saving name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll see you again next week on Fortitude in Truth.